0: Good evening. I'm Axis. I'm Mona And you're listening to The Late Night, a horror podcast.
1: Welcome back, listeners. And it's June. <laughs> Wouldn't say a happy June, but it's a June. And we're only halfway through June, but Mercury seems to have retrograded extra hard for us this year. <laughs> Russia still invading Ukraine. Dow sang 10,000 points. And lest we forget, all the racist shit tweeted at Mose's Ingram, the actress playing Rhea in Star Wars. Uh, feels like an appropriate time to go goth. And in that spirit, Axis and I decided we'd watch two somber masterpieces. First, we have Julie Delpy's *The Countess* from 2009, starring Julie Delpy, Anna Maria marinka and William Hurt. And we'll be following that with Rose Glass's *Saint Maud* from 2019 starring Morfid Clark, Jennifer Ayla, and Lily Fraser. We'll be right back after the tone. Stay tuned. Huh. I mean, <laughs> so yeah, The Countess. We don't, e- we don't even know the budget on this film.
0: No, no, the details, both of these films don't reveal mm-hmm. as much as I wish they did about like production mm-hmm. stuff, but especially yeah. the Countess. Like th- yeah. this one, basically they showed up, they dropped it, they disappeared into the night, mm-hmm. and <laughs> Julie Delpy was like, "Good job, team! I did what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. We're out." <laughs> <All right.
1: laughs> I mean, whatever magazines talk female horror directors today, the more popular names dropped are Candyman's Nia de Costa A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night uh, from Anna, you know Anna Lily And of course, uh, Near Dark's Catherine Bigelow. Um, These two were selected, you know, these two little Gothic gems. They were written by the same person who's directing them. So there's a very clear, no studio getting in the way, delivery of the art or product or whatever you want to call it. And in that sense, both films are very pure. Mm -hmm. They both comment brilliantly upon what it's like to be mentally ill whilst enduring different degrees of isolation. Um, and who the monster in these sorts of stories isn't exactly cut and dry. Um, the, there are certainly villainous acts and immoral players, but they're more in the background or not seen at all. And a lot of my friends have looked at movies like, you know, Falling Down with Michael Douglas back in the 90s. Um, you know, uh, uh, Taxi Driver with Robert De Niro back in the 70s. Or more recently, Joker with Joaquin Phoenix. And, you know, we have a similar sort of situation here where the protagonists are more or less victims of society. And, um, you know, the right, right thing right off the bat pun intended is that you'll notice that both of these have strong Gothic overtones, Mm -hmm. the sets filming location, talent, direction, and music on both of these is extremely bleak Whilst Mm -hmm. also doing something that I find really important. They're quietly nodding to other horror stories. In this case, you have the Countess, which is technically nodding toward Frankenstein for its association with Darmstadt, which is where the real Castle Frankenstein is, not to mention using actual locations where Germany's Walpurgisnacht is celebrated. And in St. Maud, you have Whitby, which, in case any of you haven't read the novel by Bram Stoker, is where Dracula's ship runs aground after he murders the crew that was transporting him. Basically, you know, he got. Hungry used the crew as his in flight snack and then, you know, crashed there, um i.e., Dracula 2000. Uh, so it's interesting to note here that the actual person uh, who Dracula is based upon, Vlad Tepish, uh, impaled 20,000 Ottoman Turks. He also did it in the name of the Eastern Orthodox Roman Catholic Church. So, you know, both with St. Maud and Dracula, high spirits everywhere. <laughs> <You know? laughs> So, um, <laughs> so, yeah. Let's start with the countess.
0: Yeah, yeah. And it's interesting that, of course, like, I mean, anytime we talk about horror, we end up at Dracula pretty fast. Oh yeah. <laughs> and just the way that that the story of Elizabeth Bathory has been conflated with Dracula is so funny. Like, I, I feel like we have to right off the bat just talk about what the quote-unquote true story of Elizabeth Bathory is, because the story has been so blown up over the years. So, like, right to start with, the movie itself, um, like, the Countess, the film, kind of has you believing in this narrative that Elizabeth Bathory is a villainous murderer until the very last second when they pull out the, but wait, maybe the men who want ridiculous amounts of power don't always tell the truth. And then you're like, oh, right, Uh uh-huh, okay, yeah, cool, maybe I should have thought of that one. (laughs) right
1: it's because like you know consider who the fucking source is which is played by you know for those of you who don't know him daniel Bruhl, mm-hmm. who is also um baron zemo for those of you who are fans of the falcon and the winter soldier exactly um, <laughs> yeah. um i should also hop in here delpy uh who wrote and directed the film is no stranger to horror yeah. you know king king lear frankenstein an american werewolf in paris and if you're a marvel fan yeah, this is probably the other connection. You might have noticed her briefing uh, appearance as Hydra member. Madame B during mm-hmm. Black Widow's Red Room training scenes. Mm-hmm. Her choice of films has almost always been either heartbreaking romance, suspense, or horror of some type. Right. She's basically the woman who goes, I'm beautiful, and I'm here to fuck you up. And I love that about her. <laughs> She's like, are you in love with me? Yes. It's gonna hurt extra. <laughs> Good. Yeah, yeah, of
0: course. Please, please love me, stomp on me, crush my heart. <laughs> I'll accept it all. <laughs> because, my God. For those
1: of you who have heard heard the song, Song to the Siren, to me let me enfold you <laughs> touch me not touch me not come back tomorrow you yeah know? Yep. Uh.
0: Yeah. I would love like <laughs> my god I would love to be able to talk with her about the process of yeah. adapting this because there and are becoming f- yes yes yeah. all of the above because just in the script writing though there's so many little details of like how, the choices she made in making the story for the screen and there are always you know when you take a historical thing you have to Mm -hmm. fill in some gaps, but you also make some swaps, and yeah, yeah. anyway, I love hearing that kind of thought process, and there are little hints of such good info that, you know, literally just going through Wikipedia, I was like, oh, wait, oh, but she did this, oh, she did what? So, Mm -hmm. I digress, let's get into it, because, (laughs) so, right off the bat, there's this idea that, you know, based on the kind of societal zeitgeist of what we think Elizabeth Bathory is like, it's the story of a monstrous Hungarian serial killer who bathed in the blood of all of these innocent women to keep herself young. Virgin and, women. Yeah. I'm so sorry. Virgin women. Let me not forget the most important part. Um, she wasn't taking just anyone. All right. All right. However, right, and so that's been what's been conflated with all of these Dracula myths, and people are like, oh, actually, Elizabeth Bathory was the source material for for Dracula. Zero proof of that. Zero evidence. Complete of that bullshit. Whatsoever. Actually, yeah, yeah, no. Nowhere in any journals, nothing, nothing. No correlation. No.
1: She was possibly the source material for Carmilla Karnstein mm-hmm. from Joseph Sheridan Leifeneuve.
0: Right. A much more plausible link, but Dracula. Yes. No, no, no. No. So the question of what actually happened murky it's murky yes. at best this is old history we're talking early 1600s is when oh. this stuff is happening in what was then the kingdom of hungary which is nowadays mm. split between what is it mm. is it hungary slovakia and romania mm-hmm. so there's across the world several hundred a years ago germany a little,
1: a little bit, bit of, germany. of germany
0: a little bit of germany a little bit of it's confusing at best to piece together what happened. What we know for sure, the records we can pull on, is that the the basic premise is true. Elizabeth Bathory is married to Nadashti. They have this amazing empire that they rule over together. Nadashti is this warlord. He does all of this great stuff in battle. Bathory, interestingly, there are some little, like, kind of, um, Quite sympathetic details you can pull from her past. Like, so meanwhile, while we see in the film these shots of her, like, murdering chicks and burying them and being like, Why didn't it grow, mother? Um,
2: <laughs>
0: like, there are actual stories you can go back to while her husband was be- busy being the chief commander of the Hungarian troops and going to war against the Ottomans. Bathory was at home taking care of the estates, again, like we saw, but there are great little stories. Like, um, there are stories saying that she. Pretty consistently, seemed to take care of other women in the community, include and not just wealthy women. It was the impoverished that she looked out for, um, yeah. taking care of women whose whose daughters were raped and impregnated. She punished people for that. Mm. Um, she took care of women whose husbands were captured by the Ottomans. Like there are these mm. again.
1: You know, she did her job. Right. And, she did, and did her her it competently, job, but and sympathetically.
0: With, yes. So basically, there are instances of her being a sympathetic. Ruler to her people before we get into all of the hullabaloo.
2: <laughs> right.
0: So I'm not like, again, who knows? I'm not pointing this to be like, we know she was a good person. I just think it's important to note the kind of stories you hear before all hell breaks loose.
1: <laughs> I mean, I think that at this point, it's kind of also too important to, to acknowledge that we've been doing a show now for a couple of years and. Almost every time that we've gotten to anything with witchcraft mm-hmm. or anything like, you know, Millicent Patrick's a great example of, hey, you know, I don't want a woman being in charge because she makes me look bad because she does her <laughs> job better than I do. So uh-huh. let's bury her somewhere and tell a ghost story about her. That actually pre- feels pretty fucking spot on here, too. It's like,
0: oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You, you know? Oh, we're getting there. We're absolutely right. getting there. So, mm-hmm. like,. Again, let's let's map on the actual details. We know she was married to Nadashti. Nadashti comes down with an illness at around 1601. His he starts having debilitating leg pain. He never recovers. becomes permanently disabled. And then, right at the beginning, January 4 of uh, 1604, January fourth, 1604, he dies at the age of 48. Now, he and Elizabeth had been married for 29 years. They had some kids, um, mostly raised by governesses, as was the way, but. Right before he dies, Nadashi entrusts his heirs and his wife the the care and supervision of them to good old Georgi Torzo, um, right. who we know well from the movie. <laughs> uh, <and> <laughs> <laughs> we can we can see where this is going because all of their wardens, Torzo, is the one who eventually leads the investigation into Bathory's crimes.
2: Gee,
1: I wonder why. <laughs> uh-huh.
0: Yeah, I wonder how this could have happened. Because immediately, before before Nadishti even dies, it's between 1602 and 1604, as he is wilting away and Bathory is taking over the care of his estate and all of his lands and becoming a more dominant figure politically... All of a sudden, 1602 to 1604, these stories uh, start coming out of Bathory's atrocities and all these rumors start coming out. And these link back to, for the most part, the first public accusations come from a Lutheran minister named Istvan Magyari, which again, going back to script writing process, fascinated by the naming here because Georgi yeah. Torzo, did he had a couple daughters he did not have a son he did not have a son named István who fell in love with Elizabeth Bathory but so taking the name of the priest who accused sorry the minister who accused her István, and transposing that onto her lover fascinating choice talk to me Julie Delpy yes. I want to know <laughs> <laughs> I want to know <laughs> but I digress so This Ishtvan, the Lutheran minister Ishtvan, makes complaints against her publicly to whoever will listen and takes to the court in Vienna. So by 1610, six years after her husband's death, um, King Matthias II asks Georgi Torzo, who's the palatine of Hungary, and again, the one officially in charge of Elizabeth Bathory, who (coughs) everything would default to him if anything, you know, happened to her. Um, Yeah just possibly. Right, just possibly. Yuriki Terzo is he's put in charge of investigating her purported crimes. So So what happens is he shows up again, according to the, you know, the hot goss of the time essentially, he busts down the doors and finds her torturing young women. No not the case. He shows up during dinner. She's at dinner, and she... My imagination of what happened in this, in this instance is that she looked up and was like, oh, hey, it's you, asshat. What do you want? And he was like, I am here <laughs> to accuse you of terrible crimes. Show me your young women. Right. Um, Yeah. Bullshit. <laughs> so... <laughs> so... <coughs> In a letter to his own wife, Georgi Turzo puts down that he shows up and he finds the body of a dead girl there and another young woman that was be that was locked up and being tortured by <laughs> purportedly by Elizabeth Bathory. Now He, the charges leveled against her are that Bathory starts, her first victim she starts collecting are young girls between ages 10 and 14, daughters of the lesser gentry who were sent to her for care and to learn courtly etiquette, which, you know, good on her for running a girl's school while also managing, essentially, a country. So (laughs) she kept herself busy. There is no mention of bloodletting. There is nothing about bathing in blood. It's all about torture, the idea. Um, Mm -hmm. The the most notable one that's mentioned is the use of needles to torture these young girls. Um, Needles burning, placing in cold water. Sure, I guess. Um, But lots of stabbing. Stabbing with needles, that's the big thing. Now, the question of where these charges are coming from. We have the gossip from Istvan. Then Georgie shows up, says he sees two girls. We have no evidence of that. There is no corroborating evidence None. from anyone else. It is just in a letter he wrote to his wife. But he immediately Yo. sets out on a, a, what I a don't crusade. think. Yeah, I was going to say witch hunt. But, you know, crusade yeah. is perhaps a more politic <laughs> yeah, word no. at this point in the story. Yeah, no.
1: His yeah, crusade, <laughs> uh-huh. her witch hunt. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. So he he shows up and starts asking anyone who will talk to him for a half a second to tell them what dire stories they've heard. So he's he um, and two notaries are all going around collecting evidence and this is again, March of 1610. By October, they've come up with a list of 52 witness, 52 witness statements. And by 1611, that number had risen to over 300. Now, <laughs> now let's break this down a little. Because what's happened here is that they've basically showed up to anyone who will listen and go, Wow, did you hear the terrible, terrible crimes that Elizabeth Bathory did? Everyone's talking about them. We've heard X, Y, and Z. She stabbed, she tortured, she killed. What have you heard?
1: Yeah, and I'm willing to bet there was also a little reward or something oh, if you were a starving 100%. peasant. Oh, one
0: hundred percent, absolutely. Yeah. So this is—I I mean, I'm not going to get into fucking anything here. But if—if if, you know, at this moment in time, we've seen any cases of leading the witnesses to any kind of conclusions
2: <laughs> in
0: m- m- public media. Let's just say it was still happening and much worse back in 1610. Right. So. <laughs> <laughs> So they are getting all of these hundreds of people who probably never even saw Elizabeth Bathory in person, because these are all, for the most part, very poor townspeople. They are yeah. like, oh yeah, no, I personally saw her um, do this and that. The, for the most part, for the most part, most of these stories are them saying they found dead bodies afterwards. They're like, oh, we saw a dead body in the graveyard. Maybe it was tortured by Elizabeth Bathory. And every, and nowadays, we can look back and go, oh, you mean a place where they did health care? Like, they, they took right. in soldiers from the active war that was like, happening.
1: And I just want to, like, <laughs> just just pause here for one second. I just want to say, just do, do a cross narrative here with Dracula, just for uh-huh. a second. There was fucking woodblock cuts of what happened, right? There were, like there were there was immense illustration mm-hmm. and you know it's, it actually reminds me because we're having such a christian overtone here between both films <laughs> i'd like to say that you know jesus would say that man often worships the most vile and despicable of things and this is definitely one of those times where i'm like yep this is totally it because you can see it like from the minute we had printing presses and the minute we were like even recording history we often did very graphic depictions of what was happening to somebody as fast as we could so a lot of times yes of course we took liberties with the truth i mean mm-hmm. it's probably how we got most religious, religious paraphernalia anyway but but the crazy thing about it is if you if you look at Dracula's story and you look at Bathory's story if if it was if it was true i feel like we would have gotten a whole lot more of an illustrated series mm-hmm. I feel like there would have been mm. woodcuts oh, yeah. and toys and mm. jokes about it just the mm. way there was about good old Vlad Tepish, right? Mm-hmm. Because yeah. you know, it's uh, mm. it's absolutely unbelievable.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, there is yeah so this is exactly what we're getting to because this is the rumor mill on cocaine this is so far it's it's a financially and violence incentivized rumor mill that's happening so let's fast forward she gets arrested so after they collect these six what after they collect these 300 witness statements 300 plus witness statements on december 12th of 1610 um Turzo gets the uh, the approval he needs to imprison Bathory in her estate and take all of her wealth and goods and distribute them. Amazing how that works. So he shows up on December thirtieth. Or, you know, bangs on the door, says, Bathory, you're under arrest! And also arrests four of her servants, um, who he accuses of being her accomplices. I apologize to the Kingdom of Hungary for the mispronunciation, which is about to happen. But <laughs> her four accompli- accomplices that they charged were Dorotia Semtes, Ilona Jo, Katarina Benica, and Janusz Ujwari. Uv- we'll go Ushvari. Um <laughs> So... This is when he says he finds the dead girls, that he's... He finds this whole dramatic reveal when he arrives there. He locks them all up. This is all absurd. Um, he tells everybody who will listen that he's caught her red-handed, that she's been detained. He's finally gotten everyone safe. And, um, he, he, he then starts talking to Bathory's sons, who are like, Hey, um, please don't take our mom's whole estate. That's pretty fucked up. Um... And they're like, oh, well, maybe if we take it all away from her, but leave some with with you, with the family, like maybe we can avoid public scandal. So they're doing all of this back and forth machination among all of the men while talking about sending Elizabeth to a nunnery. But they're also, at the same time, telling, again, everyone who will listen that she's a terrible, terrible murderer. So rather than, then they're like, oh, actually, I don't think we can send her to a nunnery. Let's just lock her up here under house arrest. (laughs) So, yeah, so Elizabeth Bathory is kept under house arrest because she's a noble. They come right to the uh, purported accomplices, though, and they're like, ah, our case will hinge on you because we've had, again, 300 witnesses who have testified But not a single one admitted to seeing anything themselves. They all said they're like, oh yeah, there's bodies, we heard this rumor, whatever. But none of them would agree to say that they had seen Bathory do anything. So they're like, okay, this all comes down to Bathory's accomplices. And guess what? They did confess under extreme physical torture. Right. Amazing how that works, and just uh, again for reference, that does not hold up under any contemporary court system. So, <laughs> all four of them were supposed to be king's witnesses who received protection, if, as long as, you know, they, they talked. But funnily enough, Ilona and Doratia had their fingers torn out with red-hot pliers before they were oh. burned alive, and they confessed somewhere along that uh trajectory then um um was young so they were like oh well we can't be as mean to him so he skipped the finger pliers um but he was just beheaded and then the fourth witness um Uh, She originally escaped capture, but then was burned alive after being captured, and all of them were burned on a funeral pyre. So um, the king's witness plan did not go really well for all four of them. Um, Any testimony that was received from them was done under extreme physical and mental duress as they were having their fingers torn out, and they were all unceremoniously murdered afterwards. So... (laughs) Things did not go well. Oh, there was also another servant who did receive a life sentence after providing evidence that she had been abused by the other women involved in this plot. So Um. she managed to play the sympathetic card. Let's uh, look back at the witch trials real quick and just think about that for a second. Um, But uh, anyway, (laughs) anyway good old Bathory does not get walled up in, uh, in any rooms or anything. She just spends the rest of her days confined to her castle, which is not a great situation. She's you know, confined. Her control of her lands have been taken away. She's publicly disgraced. Everyone thinks she's a monster. And Torzo has gained incredible power and prestige from, from all For of his, this. For his
1: courageous capture yeah. of such a monster. Oh
0: yeah, absolutely. And oh, by the way, you want to know where the rumor that she was bricked up in a room comes from? It was Gergi Torzo. Guess right. who started this? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, entirely unsurprising. He would tell everyone who would listen that, oh, I locked her away behind brick wall it was so dramatic I've punished her she's punished for her crimes but the actual sources from the priests who kept going to visit the poor woman said she was allowed to move freely and unhindered in her castle and it was like house arrest So, Torso lies at every single turn of this story. Like, we have caught him in so many documented lies from, again, looking back at early 1600s, we can see him lying. And that is to say nothing of all of the other claims that we can't really say one way or, uh, or another. So, by the end of all of this trial and everything that's happened... The cited list of victims of Bathory and her accomplices were at 650. That was the highest number that anybody said, that she killed 650 people. Um, But that comes from one servant girl named Susanna that said she had seen seen that number written down in a private book from Bathory's estate. But that book was never found. It was never found at any court like, any court of law, mm-hmm. um, the court official who was said to have the book, Jakob Silvacy, uh, never mm-hmm. mentioned it at any point during the testimony. So they just basically were like, oh, some girl said she saw it with 650. There is no evidence to back that up anywhere. In fact, there is no evidence that is historically documented or reputable to account for any deaths coming out of this estate, except for the actual victims of the war that was happening at the time that were buried on the estate and in the surrounding areas.
1: So basically you got no evidence.
0: We've got zero (laughs) evidence. There is zero evidence From a historical perspective to support any of the purported crimes of Elizabeth Bathory. And on the Mm. other hand, there is overwhelming Mm. evidence to show all of the incredible Mm. political motivations that people, including Giorgi Torzo and Mm. the king who ordered him to go there, had Mm. to strip Elizabeth Bathory of the power she Mm. held within their kingdom.
1: I don't know what's sadder. That hell must have one hell of a writer's department. Or that mm-hmm. like people want you know the other thing is that people wanted to believe that too that's the other thing that makes me kind of sad is that people must have wanted to believe it oh, in yes. order for it to have taken
0: place oh yes
1: and so it's just
0: it's mm-hmm. really depressing yeah yeah everything like we can't say again for certain right. that Elizabeth bathory was totally innocent we don't know we don't know that the crimes didn't happen we don't know that she was you know a lovely person in real life we're not sure. But right. the evidence towards a conspiracy seems pretty overwhelming. And even if there were some kernels of truth in there, like for instance, one of the counter arguments to this conspiracy theory, um, sh- sorry, I shouldn't call it a conspiracy theory. I don't think this is a conspiracy theory, a theory of conspiracy against. That's Batman. a good one. <laughs> yeah. There we go. Um, but one of the counter arguments is co- the question of how, taking it all the way back to the beginning, how that Lutheran minister, uh, Ishtvan Magyari, would have been motivated to do this. Because the idea is it was a plot between the Catholics and the Habsburgs against Bathory, who was a Protestant. It would be Mm. a large motivating factor. So if it was both political and religious power that was involved, this would track. However, Ishtvan was a Lutheran, Mm. so he's kind of considered a third party in this. So how did this work it's possible that maybe he did have legitimate concerns and then torso capitalized on it it's possible he was paid off we don't know what actually happened my
1: money goes on oh i mean
0: me too if we're theorizing i think elizabeth is innocent as fuck
1: (laughs) i'm a pretty good guesser i would put my money on paid off
0: yeah absolutely i mean come on you're in a you're in a little small town in hungary your church could use a new roof and a guy shows up with a handful (laughs) several you know big Bags of 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 money yeah it's like hey by the way if you wanted to say anything um a little bit salacious about the big lady up at the house who maybe hasn't paid for your roof to be fixed yet let's uh let's just see how that goes for you (laughs) Uh uh-huh like it, it is no there is no doubt that this easily could have been manipulated and in my personal a humble opinion, mm. it absolutely was. I mean, look, mm.
1: for those of you who own Todd McFarlane's Countess Bathory action figure, it's fine. You know, oh, I get yeah. it. It's got the claw foot tub. It's gorgeous. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful. Keep playing with it. You know. Um, uh-huh. It's just that, you know, kind of, you know, it just acknowledge that it's just as much, fi- it's more than likely just as much fiction yeah, as yeah, like, it like is, your Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle action It is figures.
0: a fictional character. <laughs> You're talking about a fictional character at this point because <laughs> this is the thing, is that we have mm. this Wild image of, you know, some hot lady, you know, Mm. reclining in a clawfoot tub full of blood after her rampant afternoon Mm. of of salacious murders and that's fine as a historical you know as a figure of historical fiction also something
1: for you know something to aim for you know yeah. girls oh. if there's something you're really oh, yeah. you know no, it's, reach high uh-huh. you know? i
0: mean like uh, but know.
1: fill the tub full of boys not girls come on
0: we all know i love a hot <laughs> woman who commits acts of violence so like we get the it's not that i don't get the appeal is from a storytelling but what perspective
1: what artemisia have to say mm-hmm. huh
0: But compare this with the actual historical perspective of Elizabeth Bathory, who was confined to her house Um, in 1610. She wrote she wrote a will. This is right before her eventual arrest, um, where she left all of her current and future inheritance possessions to her children. Um, She signed it in 1614. And uh not long after that, it's in August of sixteen fourteen, she complained to one of the bodyguards keeping her under house arrest that her hands were cold, to which he replied, I quote, It's nothing, mistress, just go lie down. She went to sleep and was found dead the following morning. Huh. Um Bathory was then buried on the grounds of her castle, but well, the grounds of the local cemetery by her castle, but the uh the the townspeople were very upset by this after all of the unsurprising hullabaloo that 300 of them co-signed on. Um, right. And so her body was dug up and moved back to her birth home, where it was interred at the family Bathory family crypt. And that is where she possibly lies to this day, in an unmarked grave so that nobody could piss on her grave or anything. And that's the real story of Elizabeth Bathory that we know.
1: I mean, I would also acknowledge the more than likely superstitions about vampires at the time as well, because that was also the same age. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that was also the same age that we had Dom Augustine yes. Calme okay, and Voltaire doing their vampire hunt. Multipurpose.
0: Right? They don't right. want they probably
1: they... dug her up for repeat you know, that's mm-hmm. also where we get our Dracula rumors from, right? So yes. it's pro- more than probably. Yeah,
0: yeah. So I think it's I think it's dual motivation where the townspeople didn't want murderers and vampires in their local cemetery right. <laughs> and the remaining Bathory family didn't want anyone pissing on their dead mom.
1: Uh, Sorry, you know, not to be cynical or anything, but this sounds an awful lot like bullshit is what I would have said, but yeah, okay.
0: Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. So this is a a whole big pile of bullshit wrapped up with a little bullshit bow to be gifted in a bullshit manner with a bullshit smile. Right, But
1: and just like Jurassic World three this year, uh, this month, you know, another gift from June. That is mm-hmm. one big pile of shit, mm-hmm. you know, um, just one big pile of shit.
0: Yeah. And so it's really interesting. I think I like I have a lot of respect for Julie Delby with how she arranged yeah. this whole movie in that I think she does a fantastic job of playing into the the zeitgeist around this of creating this sensationalized story of capitalizing on it um, mm-hmm. while also creating a nuanced character within that like I think she does a lot of service to understanding how this could have happened while also being willing to pull back the curtain and say like come on guys <laughs> like,
1: come on <laughs> Yeah, that's actually what you know there was one thing that I did notice that there were a lot of critics who didn't get it they didn't make the connections between her childhood portrayal and mm-hmm. how she had made how she had become how she mm-hmm. had come to conflate you know beauty and youth and and you know sort of slowly lose her mind
2: mm-hmm. and so
1: the critics didn't really the critics really bashed delpy for this and i thought I know, ridiculous. obviously none of these critics, I, I thought, yeah, I looked at the critics and I was like, well, clearly none of you have degrees in psychology or have ever taken no. a psychology class. Or have met anybody... a woman. <laughs> well, no, I mean, I actually think that it's kind of clear that what she suffered from, at least in in that particular mm-hmm. film, I would mm-hmm. say that it's fairly clear that what happened was she was abused to a point where, you know, her mind was already mm-hmm. fractured repeatedly. Sure before she was even in her 20s before she was even married really mm. right and so by the time she got to her husband she already had a very mm. you know distant uh-huh. idea of what constituted mm. beauty what mm. was desirable and it had already been kind of twisted and perverse and so by the time that you know we get to where she is you know in, in you know in her older age um she's she's you know, she's so twisted because, you know, she's been isolated and the critics didn't want to seem to acknowledge the, the effect of what isolation could have on the mind. Yeah. And I thought that that was really, really crazy and sloppy because well, uh, if you put somebody yeah. in solitary confinement for a few days,
2: mm-hmm. you'll
1: get people to start seeing things. And if you put them in for a few months, like there there are times where, you know, soldiers go out to war and if they have to like dig themselves into a trench or something go out to war for 6 weeks and you're alone you have to check in yeah even i think i think even after world war 2 you had to be checked mm-hmm. into an institute for at least a few weeks afterwards just to make sure that you were okay just to make sure that you were healthy so that you could go back and and be reintroduced into society and so there's this kind of like this, I felt like there was this unwillingness to acknowledge Delpy's genius because what she yes. had really built was something where, and she did it with, I think that was the other mm. thing. She's so beautiful and it's not like a, you know, like, yeah, I crush on her, but also it's also acknowledging her skill. Mm-hmm. She knows she's beautiful. She knows how to use her looks. She knew how to keep herself, you know, she definitely mm-hmm. had, perfect control over her face you could see she knew where the camera was all the time which is something you don't see with every Mm -hmm. actor not every actor has the ability to know where the fuck the camera is when it's pointed at them and she was perfectly manipulating her face you know having just the right Mm -hmm. reactions at just the right time and with subtleties oh yeah she was showing you the transformation yeah it was and that Mm -hmm. was something where I'd seen that in a few of her characters when I was younger. Like, I'd seen her in lots of other things. I'd seen her in crime films. I mean, she always did something very intense. Mm-hmm. So even in, like, even in Marvel, like, mm-hmm. even when she was, like, in there for, like, maybe 50 mm-hmm. seconds in her Marvel career. Her her Marvel career is maybe 50 seconds long. She was still a grade-A mm-hmm. actress. Oh, yeah. Even doing mm-hmm. the same thing, which is she kind of does this stoic mm-hmm. thing sometimes, but it's, mm-hmm. like, She'll start to show you when she's being bothered, when she's being upset, when she's Mm -hmm. being, you know, when she's being disturbed. And it's actually quite masterful to watch because a lot of people think of her when I know horror fans who think of her, they're always like, oh, an American werewolf in Paris. And yes, she's, she's a lot of fun. Yeah, that's exactly it. Uh, That your hmm is exactly why (laughs) I think of it too. Her, you know, most guys think of like when this beautiful blonde girl walks in and puts this her puts his hands on her breasts uh to calm himself down from being a werewolf and like she's like, This'll calm you down, Nespa. And you're kind of like you kinda of like wanna smack the director because it's like you've just taken a genius actress and you uh-huh. have just You have just like it's like okay, this was funny. But we mm-hmm. didn't use Delpy the right way. Like, you didn't use right. this level of talent the right way right. in this film. Yeah,
0: it? and so not only and is so, she so talented as an actor, but it's the writing that really comes through. I keep coming back to that. Because, correct. So you're ta- you were talking about the way, like, the criticisms that people had and lack of sympathy, like, for her purported madness and... And all of that, I think, is true. But that's taking the plot on a surface level. That's—I feel like—that's the analysis that happens if you don't reach the last five minutes of the movie, where we finally hear Bathory's voice and go, "Wait a second, what?" The thing is, is like when—and this is admittedly, like—I thought about it a lot more on my second viewing of the movie than my first. Mm -hmm. But it really, as soon as you know that ending monologue from Bathory, where she comes out and she writes in her letters, like. I mean, sure, you're all saying this, but, like, nobody asked me, man. (laughs) Right. As soon as you hear that, if you watch this movie again, like, I was so much more aware of the fact that every single moment of that story was being narrated by men. It was being narrated by Ishtvan, who was right. arguably, like, one of the more sympathetic people to Bathory, but,
2: but still,
1: still an unreliable man. narrator. Right, still <laughs> an
0: incredibly unreliable narrator for multiple reasons, both because of his sympathy for her and because of his familial relations, his monetary, like, relations, his political... Like, all of the above right. made him, of course, sympathetic to what everybody was telling mm-hmm.
1: him. Right. For me, it's not so much that he's a man, it's that he had something to gain. Yes. And that's kind of what it is. Oh, no, it's, it's definitely...
0: Yeah, he has something to gain. Everyone around him has something to gain. The reason I point out that he's a man is because I think that ties into so much of what I feel about the story and the way that the Bathory story has been spun out into the story of vanity. Because this is something that, like... Look, I'm not going to say that, you know, women don't get plastic surgery or whatever. Like, trust me, I I am doing my very best to stave off wrinkles. But the focus on female beauty is entirely based on her desirability to a man in this movie. It's such a male perspective motivation. I have never seen any woman who would do any of this or write this story.
1: And that's what I love about it. What I love about it is that this is a story mm-hmm. only a man could have, the yes. narrative of, of her frame is a narrative only a fucking guy could have come yes. up with Yes, So 100%. if you're not going to say it, I totally say it. I know, it. no,
0: yeah. it 100% is. And then Delpy taking that and turning it into this story is so fucking good. It's Because genius. she knows that. She's writing the story and she's like, hey, you asshats, did any of you raise an eyebrow to listening to this dude mm-hmm. spew bullshit for the last hour and a half? <laughs> (laughs) Let me smack you in the face with it in the last five minutes because you're all fools. (laughs) Right,
1: because it's like, hey, dude, did you see the bodies? No. Mm -hmm. So what did you see? Oh, I saw her look tired at the dinner table and she said that there were some flies, but she was really happy to see me.
0: Uh Uh-huh. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we also fucked afterwards, but I still decided that wasn't good enough. (laughs)
1: Right, and and so you're just like you're looking at it, and you're going like, oh, he's really an asshole, uh-huh. right?
0: Uh huh. Yeah. And then and he the gets thing to is, he could have spoken at it afterwards. any time,
1: right? Right. Mm-hmm. And, and you just look at him, and you're like, wow, you are truly an asshole.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um. Yeah. It's it's that empty door scene says it all, right? Yeah. Yes. And you're just sitting there looking at it, and you're going, I remember, you know, the I didn't catch it so like the first i think i caught it i didn't catch it years before like the Mm -hmm. first time i saw it years before i did not catch it at all on the second rewatch maybe i caught it i think it was the third time that i watched it when i was watching Mm -hmm. it with you i think when it was when we were watching it on the watch through i think it's when i caught it Mm -hmm. because i Mm -hmm. I was like wait a second the the empty door so yeah props to you for catching it faster than me
2: (laughs) Um, yeah.
1: i also sat there and i was kind of <laughs> like yeah
2: why don't
1: we see Dent? like yeah if you're her lover and you love her so much wouldn't you push back that guy and go down the steps and want to see it for yourself
0: Mm-mm. no it's bullshit it's bullshit yeah. bullshit bullshit and like i also again from the writing perspective introducing the character of ishtvan i think is such an interesting move because I think it allows you to believe Ishtvan because he believes himself. I think there's this idea that Ishtvan and the way he presents his own character, like he believes he's doing his best to be impartial and he's doing his best to be sympathetic. But there's so much evidence that sways him. And it like endears the listener, the the viewer, to his perspective of trying of being like, oh, well, he's torn up about this. So he's probably like doing his best. But he is ultimately very representative of what the public perspective thinks. like Because we see him want to believe her, but ultimately be swayed by the the broader voices around him without ever seeing him get any evidence to support these claims. So he is like an example. I feel like he stands in for the public perspective of somebody who's heard it be told to him enough times with no real visual evidence. And he's like, oh, well, I guess I can't deny it anymore she must be guilty after all
1: (laughs) i mean never mind this other guy who seemed to be grooming her the whole Mm -hmm. way right and you're just sitting there going yeah so you're a lying sack of shit and a killer but i should take your word over hers okay cool there's land in it for me
0: yeah 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 i also just like as an aside Mm -hmm. i truly wonder what the real Bathory's relationship with her husband was like because in this movie he's you know portrayed as a as a total like arranged marriage to a ferocious mm-hmm. warlord like all political not a lot of love there, and it's totally possible that's true because we know it was you know an, a a royal arranged time. marriage like it's not like it was a they you know had some soppy mm-hmm. love story or anything but I do really wonder given how much of his power he shared with her, like what their personal relationship was like. I crave that knowledge. I wish I was a fly on the wall or at least, you know, I actually had more think journals.
1: from what I had read, I actually got the feeling that he was a little bit more open-minded and progressive yeah. for that time. Yeah. Than, yeah. And that was kind of, you know, the, the thing that, the kind of the thing that sticks out to me as the horror of the whole story, meaning the historical mm-hmm. story is that it's, it sticks out at me being that that was their idea of progressive thinking was to house arrest this woman and take away her fucking land uh-huh.
0: <laughs> whereas to ultimately you know... not lift a finger towards the purported villain of the story but right. reap all the benefits of stealing her goods yeah right Mm-hmm. I mean, there's
1: a warm spot in hell for that fucker, oh, for sure. Yeah. Like that's, I mean, Absolutely. like, we're hoping so anyway. Yeah. <laughs> there's a hell. Mm-hmm.
2: Right?
0: Yeah, and then, you know, let's go back to the vanity of it all, too, because, <laughs> oh, oh, baby, you know, you know, I love me a rabbit hole. And uh, <laughs> I had to question. I had to question because, like, while doing all of this research and, like, being like, well, yeah, of course she didn't actually bathe in blood. Like, that's all fanciful. I did have to wonder, though. Is blood actually any good for your skin? Because people, you know, threw this case together like, oh yeah, absolutely, she was bathing in blood. She painted herself in blood, the best skin care treatment. She loved blood. But as the resident skincare bitch on this podcast, I felt like it was my duty <laughs> to ask the real questions and do some research on whether a good blood smear across your schnoz will do you any good. <laughs> And so basically, is there any chance that the alleged Bathory method would have had any effect? The answer is nuanced, but Mm. basically, yes, with very specific applications so right up top major caveat that simply painting non-sterile blood on yourself or going full blood bath if you have that much blood on hand is neither safe effective nor medically recommended so do not go buying surplus animal blood from your butcher or murdering anyone in the name of beauty don't do it let's talk about much more specific kinds of, of methods here so there Within the dermatological and esthetician mm-hmm. world, there are two major blood facial applications at the moment. The first mm-hmm. is what is known as the vampire facial, appropriately. Mm-hmm or platelet rich plasma microneedling. So this one is a dermatologist supervised process where they draw your blood, extract the platelet rich plasma or PRP, which contains your own natural growth factors.
1: Oh god, I've had this done uh, to me. Yeah. Yep,
0: then they microneedle the plasma into your skin. Basically, lots of teeny tiny needle needles stab you to create micro injuries uh. to your skin. And microneedling on its own is known to increase collagen production as your skin works to heal those minuscule injuries, which ultimately leaves your skin rejuvenated, fresher, plumper. And, um... And then putting the PRP in there is, you know, helps to increase all of those effects. Vampire facials got trendy back when Kim Kardashian was posting bloody selfies on Instagram in 2013. And it's gained another more recent boost last year when South Korean skincare aficionados started flocking to the treatment as an alternative to dermal fillers. And it's it's really trendy in this kind of movement of beauty to... Be like, oh, well, don't inject, like, fillers into your face. Let's do the more natural option of using your own bodily fluids to do it. So it's... it. As somebody who spends a lot of time reading about skin care, it makes sense why this is having a moment. Um, but this technique is regarded as effective, if pricey. Um, and for the interested, PRP is also a pretty powerful option for combating hair loss, ex- including cases of alopecia. So it's used as a really effective, one of the very few very effective alopecia treatments. So it has lots of potential. However, very expensive. Also very much not what Elizabeth Bathory was doing. <laughs> Right. So now for those who prefer the diy price of free 99 there also happens to be oh yeah and if you also happen to experience all of the horrors of the menstrual cycle there is also the option of the period blood facial which is the other trending topic when it comes to the world of blood-based skincare. so there is a rather large contingent of people who believe in the benefits of using their monthly uterine carnage as a face mask the biggest selling point of menstrual blood for this for these purported benefits is the fact that it contains stem cells. And this is true. Menstrual blood does contain stem cells and menstrual blood derived stem cells are a super rich area for research because they're an entirely non-invasive source of pluripotent cells. And these are the cells which can be differentiated into a wide variety of cell types across the body. And this is as opposed to more invasive harvesting methods to get these same cells, which need to come from bone marrow or embryonic material. So it's, I mean, it's pretty freaking cool that your body just stems loose, sheds loose stem cells once a month. If, you know, if you're one of the unfortunate as I am. (laughs) Stem cells do have proven anti-aging skin benefits in skincare product trials, but they're also definitely not testing coochie blood. So your mileage may vary. (laughs) So... Whether or not you're getting actual stem cell benefits from using the uh, menstrual blood, which again, is not what has been tested. We don't know how these specific stem cells interact with the skin. Menstrual blood does have high levels of zinc, copper, and magnesium, which all have lovely skincare benefits. But you can also find them nicely packaged up in entirely sanitary beauty products with all those lovely ingredients with a quick search on Sephora, so do not feel like you have to turn to the period facial if that gives you the squicks. Now, I will say that this is not on my personal to-do list anytime soon, <laughs> and for health and safety reasons, I am once again, to be clear, not endorsing this. But right. honestly, the internet has told me to put grosser stuff on my face, so like... Do what you do, babe. (laughs) If you want to try it, let me know how it goes. I'm curious. (laughs) And I apologize to anyone who is squeamish about blood for this deep dive, but I swear all of this info does have a purpose, which is basically to say that it is incredibly unlikely that the Bathory method of either painting blood on like she did in the movie or bathing in blood a la the more dramatic folk tales would have had any actual effect. That blood would have had no accessible stem cells, no isolated plasma, and no microneedling application to penetrate the skin. Normal blood, on the other hand, like, so just blood taken from, you know, bloodletting or whatever, does include some of those skin-friendly nutrients like zinc, copper, and magnesium, but the modest benefits from their application hardly seem worth the incredible disease risks and poor sanitation of dousing yourselves in strangers' blood like you've got front row seats on the log flume. So... (laughs) To wrap it all up, did the bathroom method work? Yeah, probs not. Definitely not worth the sanitary risk. But don't turn yourself away entirely from blood facials and blood based skincare because there's maybe something to it. Thank you for coming with me on this skincare deep dive. (laughs) And if anyone wants to uh, fund my vampire facial, just let me know. I'll send you my Venmo.
1: So let's get even more fucked up and move on to St. Maude. <laughs>
0: Transition of the century. Yes.
1: Uh, so, uh, wow. I mean, uh-huh. where do we even begin? So I'm going to just go, I'm going to go through the, the, the narrative before we, Please. before we, before we go through this, because this this is something where we're going to have a conversation, but let's just, let's just sum it up. So a nurse named Katie... We start off with a, a nurse named Katie who fails to save a patient and she meets a cockroach. And a few months later, Katie's renamed herself to Maud, and beginning a new assignment, which is looking after a former dancer named Amanda. And Amanda is in the last days of her terminal cancer treatment. Maud claims that she can feel air quotes, the God, you know, the presence of God mm-hmm. and everything changes for Maud. After she and Amanda share a, you know, air quotes, spiritual event uh you know everything seems dandy to Maud until she meets amanda's friend carol uh who Maud reads as a threat to amanda's health and possible redemption by air quotes god um maude confronts carol and basically tries to force carol to promise to never see carol again carol agrees you know big middle finger and then shows up at amanda's birthday party a few nights later Um, uh, Carol accuses Maud of being racist. Amanda also condescends upon Maud, and Maud slaps Amanda, which promptly um, ends Maud's employment. Uh, Then Maud is sent home by her nursing agency, and uh, Maud tries to go back to being Katie, uh, but that doesn't work. Uh, And then Maud sneaks back into Amanda's place after talking very inappropriately to Am- Amanda's new uh basically assisted living or assisted care person and uh after Amanda tells Maud that Amanda faked the divine air quotes the divine touch to humor Maud Maud seems to you know uh, Amanda seems to become a demon that stab and Maud stabs her to death then Maud gets dressed up in a tunic goes down to the beach Douses herself in acetone and proceeds to set herself on fire. There's there's basically two endings happening at once. The idea is that she is becoming an angel from her perspective, and in front of everybody else, she's screaming at the top of her lungs, burning in fire.
0: Yeah, Um, cheerful, cheerful finale.
1: I mean, what says goth more than public self-immolation with a Whitby backdrop? I have no fucking clue, and I'm not sure I want to know, but thank you, Rose Glass. Thank you for that nightmarish <laughs> image. Uh, I can't say that when Danny Boyle endorses you, you're fucking doing something right. Uh yeah, it was. It, it's quite the fucking ride. Um. Yeah, again, going back to this, like, this is this this movie is something where this is also. Uh, even more of an unreliable narrator than the first one. Like, like Delpy's unreliable narrator is sneaky. (laughs) Delpy's unreliable narrator is with you the whole way. And you're just freaked the fuck out.
0: Mm -hmm. And it's
1: like, have you heard of the healing power of prayer? And you're like, Praying to whom exactly, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. The glass narrator is yeah. my God.
1: <laughs> it mm-hmm.
0: worms your way inside your head and you leave going, ah, fuck. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, it's like, no. y'all need
1: Jesus. It's like, mm. mm-hmm. yeah. So it was, uh, it felt a little bit more like uh, what I would call a, Geo- a, a not a Jesus, a Jesus Beelzebub, a Jezebel, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, this is a, uh, this was a possession. This was either a possession or a mental illness. I lean toward mental illness, but, you know, there were the signs yeah. of possession as well. Um, the the Welsh, uh, you know, the Welsh speaking and everything else um, was interesting. Mm-hmm. I kind of got the feeling that both of these films shared one thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, That I'd like to bring up now, which is supernatural undertones, not overtones, undertones, right? The bloody countess undertone, the idea of the supernatural undertone, Mm -hmm. her, you know, you know, um, the Elizabeth Bathory's, you know, perception of the blood being rejuvenating undertone the concept that you know every time uh maud has a godgasm uh you know she's <laughs> she's basically she's basically demoning out undertone there's right. a lot of undertones there right. you know you know,
0: yeah, I think it's it's brilliant because it plays on, you know, our inherent fears of, like, the supernatural and also our right. willingness to blame the supernatural for <laughs> stuff which is arguably much more horrifying because it can happen without any supernatural influence and just because people are fucked. <laughs>
1: like, but using Whitby Abbey as the backdrop mm-hmm. was fucking masterful. And you're sitting there watching it going, wow, this was... This was really hardcore. By the end of it, um, I think that it really—I think that what Glass had done is that she really nailed. I think that she she got even closer than Delpy because you know Del, Delpy had had consider, considerably more experience, yes. right? But yeah. you know Glass, with with less experience, mm-hmm. got a lot closer to what I would call Scorsese mm-hmm. land with with the Taxi Driver. <laughs> you know, she got a lot closer. Yeah to doing that she did it and in fact i'd say she she actually like she slam dunked over scorsese she went like eat my dust and went bang and like you know she just sank it (laughs) and so she yeah she just did this amazing job where you're just watching her you know layer everything in and i think that um the unreliable the unreliable narrator there was so pristine and i actually believe that in both cases it really was with both of these films they were as perfect as they were because there was really no big budget i felt like there was Mm -hmm. no big budget there was no real studio interference i felt like it was something where it was just enough cash and and there was kind of a fuck off and let me do you know less is more kind of a Mm -hmm. let me do my thing and and they both like both nailed, yes. Delpy and Glass just nailed. These I agree. Things. I
0: think it's also there's also there's such clear direction both in script and direction direction from the the women helming the two ships. Also, I think there's equally strong direction from the main actresses. Who again, in Delpy's case, Delpy's doing it all. But Morford Clark, um, or- freaking incredible. The the way like both of these movies ostensibly have you know, a, a decent cast list, but when you actually look at it there is a, a, a tiny handful of people who actually get any major screen time Right. and so much of it is focused around these titular characters that they have so much on their shoulders in terms of direct you know directing the course of how the film goes and both of them both delpy and morphid clark keep this so 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 tight and precise and just masterfully done like morphid is Morphie's version of Maud is so tightly wound. She feels like it's like a it's like a string on an instrument that's held so tight that you feel like it could snap at any time, but it's playing just the most beautiful notes. Like it's right. so lovely. And I have so much respect for all of them, but these lead actors in particular.
1: And that's kind of the thing that, that binds these two so well is that Mm -hmm. Delpy has kind of played the character that's already kind of snapped. Right. But questionably, but it's like, did she snap? And then, and then kid is playing, Clark is playing somebody where you're looking at her and you're going, "Mm, what's going on exactly the whole time. And then it's not till toward the end. We get to this part where you go, wait, what's going on exactly?
0: (laughs) Yeah. All right. Yeah. I mean, the exact moment for me is that I knew the second, like... That I watched the whole movie being like oh shit that sucks and then the very second she levitates in her fucking kitchen and is just yeah. arched back you know tummy yeah. up to the sky with the, the mouth of god screaming it's like you're like oh shit wait what's happening that's like the moment that something snaps and you're like oh oh I am watching a very different movie than I thought I was watching the, the questions <laughs>
1: I was left with afterwards and it's funny because I'm friends with quite a few Welsh people and I mm-hmm. didn't think To reach out, and I feel ashamed of that. If I if we whenever we do the next episode, I'll have followed up. But the things I didn't ask were like, what other possible god could she have been praying to? Mm -hmm. Right? Because I got the feeling that this was some sort of Welsh pagan god. Mm. I also get the feeling that there was there was something strange going on. The mental illness was part of it, but I feel like um it really did. It, it, It it had. It took the unallowable narrator to a completely new level, but again, the undertone—the undertone is so much more powerful yes. than than in the in mm-hmm. the Countess because you know the blood the blood in the mirror scene that we see in the in in 2009 mm-hmm. is not the levitating in the kitchen no, scene in 2019. No. Stakes, that's definitely through the match. It's funny
0: how like the stakes almost feel higher in a movie with mm-hmm. that's much more a microcosm versus like the purported effects. Like, whereas Absolutely. yeah, Bathory was supposed to be slaying girls left right and center we have this much more contained and narrow focus in saint maud that i think amps up the intensity of the emotion and everything yes and also going back to this to the voice of god it's really interesting because um like i mean this could just be a new uh, part of production but the actual voice that we hear the the voice of god speaking in that deep-pitched welch it 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 is morford clark It is her voice pitched down, um, like artificially pitched down and speaking Welsh, which is super interesting to pick apart. Like, Mm. I mean, does that point to this being more likely mental illness because it's literally her own voice Mm. speaking back to her? Or is it something taking over her voice Mm. and using that from her? Like, again, I'm not, I don't think there's a conclusion from that, but fascinating down both avenues.
1: To go down that, the, an- the answer could be even both, yeah, which of is actually even more interesting, Yeah, which is the concept of the higher power, right? People mm-hmm. will say things like the higher power. The higher power is in yourself, right? <laughs> they even say yeah. God lives within all of us, which is kind of creepy to, be kn- to know right. that you might be used as a timeshare every yes. once in a while yes. by air quotes God, and <laughs> you don't know which one.
0: Right. right? I, I mean, absolutely. And there's also this idea that, I mean, there's the question of like, is is a god born or are they made? Because you have somebody right. like, like you know, like Maud, who seems to have. She is so determined to turn herself mm. into a saint, to turn herself into this vessel of purpose. That, I mean, she fucking does it, whether there's a god mm. telling her to or not. Like, it's it's possible that, you know, whether the voice mm. is from her, or from outside, she's turned herself into this kind of, you know, agent of the change that she desires to see in the world. (laughs) She has created herself as a religious figure, regardless of whether that inspiration comes from herself or an outside force.
1: That's true. The thing that that I came away with overall, like in the horror sphere of (laughs) it all, was I was kind of brought back to the video game Dead Space. Mm. And... And Dead Space kind of gives me a very strong Jim Jones and Jonestown vibe. And so I got a very, very strong... Um, because, you know, it's basically this person is working up to a suicide. Mm-hmm. And when you're watching it, you know, if you watch Dead Space, it's the same thing. Like, the people, if you you know, if, if anybody hasn't seen it yet... Uh, and, I you know, it's amazing how many horror mm-hmm. fans who I've met who haven't seen it yet there is an issue zero there is a a dead space comic book that was illustrated by uh 30 days of nights ben templesmith uh i think back in 2008 2009 i want to say or maybe even 2007 and it was brilliant a lot of people haven't seen it it's a motion comic it's still free on youtube i think and um there's this moment where you're kind of like trying to understand what's going on when these people at a space colony find what's called the marker. Yeah. And it's really weird because they're also listening to air quotes, the voice of God. And, <laughs> and there is a very similar set of Holy fuck moments that, that, you know, where mm-hmm. you're just watching it, but this is sci-fi horror, not, not, um not psychological thriller and not, you know, not, not spiritual or possession horror. This mm-hmm. is something where it's much more, um, it's much more overt, but it's still right. worth watching. If you want, you know, there are definitely those oh fuck moments. If you like that, if you liked St. Maud, I could definitely recommend, uh, you know, getting into Dead Space because Dead Space really takes the, takes the, you know, mm-hmm. um, you know, t- first it's a fantastic satire of Scientology. The other mm-hmm. thing it is is it's fantastic satire of Scientology. The other thing it is is that's a, it's also a moment where. You know, every time somebody comes up to you and they're like, have you ever considered letting Jesus into your life? You get you will feel even more of a tingle up your spine. <laughs> and you're like, oh, get away from me.
0: Yeah. Yeah. There's a weird
1: creepiness to it all.
0: And like I think that's such a good question too. If like I mean, I say this to be fair from my perspective as a devoutly atheist person and somebody who is I would describe myself as profoundly faithless in most things. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I am inclined to disbelieve, and that's okay Mm. with me. I I find comfort in that. I'm not complaining. I'm not looking for anything. Thank you, evangelists. But (laughs) but with that in mind, And like, there's this idea that you know, like a lot of the people who are are godless or faithless are like waiting for proof. And it's, I mean, that's what agnosticism is. This idea that you know, like, well, I mean, there could be something out there. I don't know. Like, if I saw something, that's actually
1: me. Yeah, yeah. If I if I saw it.
0: Right, if I saw something that made me lean that way, then then sure, Like if I saw proof of God, it's not like, you you know, you get it. But then for me, as somebody who's like, okay, if I saw proof of something that I believe to be omnipotent, why the fuck would I want to be on, like, would I be on board with that? Like, I would not, if I found something that could, you know, control the world, like Q and Star Trek, my first thought would not be like, ah, a loving and benevolent god, let me, you know, put my cards in this basket. I'd be like, oh, fucking run. (laughs) Like, Like... there's this Welcome idea to that, Lovecraftian
1: horror axis. Well, yeah, <laughs> That's exactly. Lovecraftian horror. That's yeah, cosmic
0: horror. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we know we know where I'm getting my uh, my source fears, but yeah. but then right. So this comes back to this question of assuming that Maud did come in contact with something, and right. it's not all from Maud herself, right? Yeah, like. When do you, when should you doubt the voice of God? (laughs) Because you've heard the voice of something, but. therein lies,
1: therein lies the horror. Yes, yes. The answer is, as the old saying goes, you're damned if you do, and you're damned if you don't. Mm Mm-hmm so yeah i mean big shit eating grin on my face as i say it by absolutely. the way
0: and i mean look i'm not gonna say the other thing too the other difficult part of this is that this is also not i would i would say that the things that this voice of god that Maud experiences tells her to do are also not entirely out of line with what would no. be believable from the God represented in the Bible Either because there yeah. are So many stories like if you look At the historical king Jephthah who was Like God was like hey can you kill your Kids for me to prove that you <laughs> right. really Like me like just go ahead and murder your Daughters and he was like yep sure if that's What you want God I'll do it and Like, And so you know sometimes in these stories God steps in at the last second it's like oh I just wanted to test you like don't actually do it But sometimes he lets them Do it sometimes right. he's like like, ah, good, you did it in tribute to me. And I'm like, is that the same loving and compassionate God? Like, right, if you're, these starting, are to all... go, like, you're yeah. starting to go, like,
1: if that's God, I'd like to meet Lucifer now and I'd like to have right. a conversation,
0: right? I and so have a long
1: talk by the fireplace,
0: yes. <laughs> and so, this is not like, I, I'm not, you know particularly like ragging on the christian faith at this moment i am talking about the huh. the way that my no, that's all these voices and that's yes.
1: that's all faiths. that's not mm-hmm. that's actually yes. just it that's why yes. it's so ingenious this isn't one faith this just no. happens to be that's what the that's the beauty of the film culturally Mm-hmm. This is something that actually touches on something very specific. This touches upon the Welsh people and their culture. Yeah. And so when we're talking about the Welsh people and their culture, which is a beautiful culture, it is something very specific, you know. Mm-hmm. I've I've had the privilege of working with a few Welsh people in my in my life who are horror professionals and those people are truly in touch with their with their culture, mm-hmm. they're truly in touch with history. And so when you're looking at what Rose Glass has created, you're looking at something that not only speaks to her culture, not only speaks to the culture of England even, right? It also, it pokes fun at England a bit too, just the right ways, (laughs) right? It pokes fun (laughs) in just the right ways. She also makes something where, and I was kind of doing that too, when I wrote Bad News from New England, I was doing the exact same thing with Puritanism the same idea which is it's the danger of indoctrination right and and glass smashes that one hand. yeah she does it
2: brilliantly
0: yeah and you also i mean you have this very specific microcosm too of of an area that has a rich history of paganism and all of these Mm -hmm. sorts of old gods old gods and tied to the land and tied to the earth conflated with this Kind of so basically, you have
1: Lovecraftian right, horror, right?
0: It's Christianity in a was... non
1: Lovecraftian yes. way, yes, which is genius,
0: mm-hmm. yeah. Christianity painted on top, these motifs used, but you're still referencing these very old gods beneath all of that, like right. th- this veneer on top. Which again, I think could totally play into the idea of you know, the which god are you talking to because there are a lot of them here. <laughs>
1: <All right. laughs> i would like to say before i forget Mm -hmm. there is one thing here if you liked these films there's not a heck of a lot where i can join things together i can say that these films work really really well side by side
2: yeah
1: on their own the one one movie that i would put next to this is the is the 2002 dark prince uh starring buffett the vampire slayers Mm -hmm. rudolph martin uh, basically also playing Dracula, playing Dracula for a second time. Rudolph Martin had played Dracula once before as uh, uh, in, uh, on the screen in Buffy and several times in the comic books. You know, his likeness has been used for the character of Dracula in the uh, continuing comic book seasons. Um, Dark Prince is something that I would put next to The Countess. Um, there's There's a few others um you know Dracula Untold I think is something more fun if you're looking to balance out the action um but it's not the same tone if you're looking for something like um Saint Maud, I can recommend The Reaping or I can recommend I think that's you know 2007's The Reaping or 2006's Silent Hill And um, that was uh, directed by the same man who uh, directed The Brotherhood of the Wolf. Um, You know, fantastic direction. Also, you know, amazing, um, you know, the concept of religious horror. You know, both, you know, whenever they do a Dead Space movie, I'm sure that'll also sit very neatly next to Maude. Um, There's also, I mean, there's tons and tons of, of other religious horror films that one can use. But those would probably be the ones I would use because... Here's the thing. Um, these movies are so goth that they're just like, <laughs> after you're done, yeah, like I'm brought back to Metalocalypse's You know, uh, you know, brutal. You know, and you're, you know, that of course is stolen from from Peter Steele of Typo Negative, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so that, um, you know, it's a very, it's a very, very goth kind of thing. You're watching this and you and you feel the gothness, you know, you feel the gothness of it coming off the whole fucking screen the whole time. Mm-hmm. You're sitting there and you're like, oh my god, I'm gonna need like a shot of serotonin after this. In order to <laughs> yeah, I'm yeah. I mean, gonna just start snorting vitamin <laughs> D to like, you know, to get my get my levels back to where they need yeah, to no, be. Yeah, no, these are both
0: movies that you like. The screen goes black at the end and you're kind of just left there, like clutching the right. edge of your couch, you're like, oh god, will I feel happiness again? Right. <laughs>
1: yeah, I'm like I need to play video games. Right, Animal Crossing now. stat. <laughs> I need colors and Please
0: sounds. give me sweet little <laughs> chip tunes. I need right. something.
1: <laughs> Seriously, after I was done watching Saint Maud, I hugged my wife extra that night. I, <laughs> I was know. like, like, like fetal position, holding on. I'm like, the universe is cold and empty, and like, but we have each I'm other. I gonna
0: go make a hot chocolate with extra marshmallows and get a cozy blanket.
1: <laughs> right. <laughs> it's it's horrible man it's horrible
0: shit is dark
1: it is dark <laughs> you're just watching the whole thing and you know the fucked up thing about it is when you're watching both of them um you know this is a certain type of movie that's going to become you know the thing with saint Maud is it's going to become a movie that's that's much more it's a, it's kind of a series of movies that have been coming out lately we had Brightburn. You know, a few years ago, which was the also in 2019, which is the idea of like, what if Superman was fucking evil and he landed on Earth? Right. Mm -hmm. And that was, you know, that was, you know, uh, fairly dark. And then, of course, you know, Amazon's the boy said, hold my beer. (laughs) (laughs) and then and then the cartoon invincible you know brought the keg and and like fucking smashed the boys into the ground with it because boy you wait till you if you guys are getting into invincible just wait there's a girl named Anissa coming and you guys ain't gonna be seeing shit the right way after that's all done um (laughs) yeah there's a lot of films like that that are on the way um Mm -hmm. and they've been coming for a while like there was a serbian film which is pretty Mm -hmm. dark as well although it was a little too nihilistic for my taste um Mm -hmm. i think it was 2008 and then there's um i saw the devil Mm -hmm. 2009 i saw the devil Mm -hmm. was like vigilante horror is bad but i don't give a shit i'm gonna get mine and you're like you're watching that and going holy fuck look like, it's about a police officer who goes and his his wife he, or his fiance basically gets killed and dismembered and so he basically hunts the guy down beats the shit out of him, you know shoves a tracker up his ass and then leaves him to start all over again and so yeah truthful. he thinks he can yeah, there, are, there's these these sorts of movies. They're a thing now. Oh yeah. Um, yeah, and so I mean, this this kind of I mean, I'm sure this started even before Scorsese did Taxi Driver, but this sort of film mm-hmm. is is becoming more rampant, you know. As of course, you know, life has become more rampant, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like you know, art reflects life, and yeah. and the art is reflecting. <laughs> We're in a pretty bleak place. You know, like today, Lady Gaga became uh, Harley Quinn, apparently, for Joker 2. And, um, yeah, for Matt Reeves' Joker 2. So, in case you guys wondered what, like, the sequel to A Dumpster Fire would look like. It's like, and I'm not talking about quality or anything. It's a great film. Joker 1's a great film. Uh, I didn't think we really needed a fucking sequel. No, I kind of I was like, I was good after I it. feel
0: like the news I got really buried the lead on that because I'm, I'm reeling for a moment because I did get the news that Lady Gaga was involved and that it was a musical. And I processed that, but somehow they did not inform me that she was Harley Quinn. And I don't know what assumption I made, but it wasn't that.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, I got the, the concept art back there and I can tell you, holy fuck. So you're like, oh, okay.
0: Great, Codependent on great, great,
1: great. healthy relationship. Yeah, great. Um, Cool. You know, I'm sure, you know, the trailer will be an epic sad mix of Rihanna's We Found Love in a Hopeless Place, right? <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh-huh.
1: <laughs> and I'm going to hell. So, yeah. Oh,
0: God. Yeah, yeah. you know, okay, I will say, as a final uh, final note on Saint Maud with, with all of this lovely talk of uh, how freaking depressing things are and, and dark and nihilistic... It was very funny to me that I was like, oh, I... Because, again, if you if you listen to the to the watch-along for St. Maude, um, I was arguably horny for the house that they recorded in, because, my yeah. God, it had the most beautiful Art Deco wallpaper, the architecture, incredible, everything beautiful. I was like, wow, I wonder if I could find, you know, more internal shots of that, like, to, to do more research on the house. And so I was trying to look up, like, filming locations for St. Maude. And the very first thing that comes up is a just beautiful and, um very polite website uh called filmed in yorkshire which records all of the lovely tourist friendly you know kind of places for people to visit from film recording and they have a all nice right. page being like saint Maud, and like look out for the scarborough locations in the sensational trailer go to the scarborough seafront and it's it is truly surreal after sitting down and watching this movie a couple times in a row to see this used as like a hey get your tourist brochure <laughs> kind of marketing yeah. material. Wait till like,
1: we get to the blob. There's Blobfest every year somewhere. For sure. So. I mean, like,
0: I mean, damn good for Yorkshire. Get Do what you need to do. And if you're getting tourists, then congrats. But the the genre whiplash, the tone whiplash
2: was, Yeah, was I
1: mean, a lot. <laughs> I mean, I'll say this. I don't think anybody should take that kind of a fucking tour if they're having a crisis of faith or grieving or something. like. Yeah. That's like... Like, well, could you imagine that? I'm having a oh crisis god. of faith. If you watch Saint Maude, I and mean, it's just like, fuck.
0: Have you seen Saint Maude? Yeah. Finish it, and immediately hop on the guided tour. You'll feel great <laughs> afterwards. Take this acetone with you. Oh god. Yeah. So, as much, no, definitely explore the Scarborough seafront, but maybe do it after. Without that. the fucking acetone. Yeah. Or no the tunic. acetone post hot chocolate with tiny marshmallows and then maybe you'll be in a good shape to uh to <laughs> handle
1: that to cope although well done rose glass oh, well yeah. fucking done <laughs>
0: absolutely yeah well done everybody involved both of these projects it's uh, as grim as they fucking were both beautiful yeah no, they movies.
1: were all They're very talented actresses it was really, yeah. it was amazing.
0: Talent, uh, talent on every all front. all around. Also talent and casting department for finding Nancy the cockroach. Much love. <laughs> Much love, Nancy.
1: <laughs> Definitely accented the budget. <laughs>
0: yep.
1: Wondered how they even found Nancy. Like, who's Nancy's agent, right? Yeah. Like,
0: yeah. who do you oh, call well, actually, when you I need can, a cockroach? I can tell you a little bit because they do have oh, a Christ. cockroach handler um, who... They we the can fuck? assume we can assume that the cockroach is named after Nancy Spungen because the same handler does have another cockroach named Sid. So they have Sid and Nancy the cockroaches.
1: Burying face and hands now.
0: Oh, I'm delighted. I love oh, this. Oh god. <laughs>
1: Where the real fucking horror is. Okay. <laughs> Look, it's a Sid and Nancy. Jesus Christ. Okay. You
0: know, no, I, as somebody who once uh, was at least partially responsible for taking care of a, a tank of, of very friendly cockroaches, uh, I have had many strange jobs in my time, but that was an unusual one but you know they they can be endearing little creatures and i hope that sid and nancy are doing well i refuse to look up the lifespan of cockroach because i don't want to know if they're dead um but (laughs) assuming they're alive i hope they're well and have thriving careers
1: (laughs) i'm horrified okay so we (laughs) hope you've all enjoyed this it's uh stay tuned with amanda and the horror news and uh you know until next time guys Bye. Bye.
0: Don't forget your hot chocolate with tiny marshmallows.
3: (laughs) Cosmic Horror Monthly, a horror and weird fiction magazine, will have an open submission window between July 1st and July 14th, 2022. Accepted stories will appear in their January to June 2023 issues. No subject is off-limits at Cosmic Horror Monthly, but they are seeking cosmic horror, Lovecraftian, and weird stories that are originals or reprints. Not sure if your work qualifies? Submit it anyways, and they'll decide. Word count is between 1,000 and 6,000 words, but the preferred range is 3,000 to 5,000 words. For more information on submission guidelines, visit https colon forward slash forward slash forward slash submissions Cemetery Gates Publishing has an open submission window between June first to August fifteenth, twenty twenty two, where they'll accept five hundred to fifteen hundred word flash horror for their second installment of their Campfire Macabre series. Within this series, there are four to five themes to write for. Full submission guidelines, including the theme's details, can be found at https colon forward slash forward slash cemeterygatesmedia.com forward slash submissions. Black Ink Fiction is seeking submissions for their We Were Warriors stories. The theme for this submission period is the Valkyries. Give them stories of the choosers of the fallen, your story of the maidens of war and agents of Odin. Word limit is either a 100-word drabble or a 1,000 to 8,000-word short story. Deadline to submit is July thirty first, 2022. For more information, visit HTTPS colon forward slash forward slash com forward slash we-were-warriors dash dash Black Beacon Books is open for submissions for their Tales from the Ruins, a post-apocalyptic anthology. They are looking for stories that are tales of survival in a post-apocalyptic world. Works may feature sci-fi elements But the heart of the work must be a human struggle. Preferred word count is 5,000 to 10,000 words, and the deadline to submit is July thirty first, 2022. Submission guidelines can be found at https colon forward slash forward slash blackbeaconbooks.blogspot.com forward slash pl submissions. Crystal Lake Publishing has announced that Unspeakable Horror 3 is coming. The submission window will open August 1, 2022. This anthology will explore the terror growing among the LGBTQIA community as they continue to make great strides forward. Keep an eye on Crystal Lake Publishing's website and social media for the official open call announcement on august first. Inked Publishing has announced a submission call for their hidden villains Arise anthology. They are looking for bold and imaginative fantasy, horror, and sci-fi stories that entertain with the bizarre or delve into the shadows. The submission window is open until August 31st, 2022, and the word count limit is 7,000 words. Submission guidelines can be found at mm-hmm. https colon forward slash forward slash inkdpub.com mm-hmm. forward slash submissions. Spooky House Press is open mm-hmm. for submissions in regards to anything an author may wish to submit for consideration. However, mm. they are only looking for previously mm. unpublished work, and this includes anything mm. that has been self-published. Mm. For full submission guidelines, visit https mm. colon forward slash forward slash mm. Www. Mm. www.spookyhousepress.com mm. forward slash submissions.
1: The Late Night, a horror podcast, is brought to you by Moner T. Lawrence. Find us at Monaria.com and The Late Night Pod on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.